You're listening to a podcast from Victory. Following Jesus involves troubles and suffering, but He has overcome the world. Learn more about this message in week four of our series, Cross Check. And today we're ending our very short uh, series on Cross Check, and we're going to be talking about facing troubles. Facing troubles. And this is a very exciting message for all of us. We are all excited to have troubles in our life, right? Excited to have afflictions. Excited to have tribulations in our life. You know, when you talk about trouble, trials, tribulation, challenge, difficulty, you know, hardship. The question is not if we will have trouble. The question really is when we have trouble. Just to have a quick survey, how many of you have had trouble in your life? Please raise your hand. You've had troubles in your life. Please raise your hand. All right. For those of you who are not raising up your hand, don't worry. It will come, okay? I promise you that. I prophesy that. No, no. Jesus said it himself. So don't quote me on that. Quote Jesus. He was the one who said, in this world, you will have troubles and trials and tribulations speaking of troubles and trials you know one of the big news two weeks uh, not two, two days ago was the shooting incident it's actually a massacre in new zealand have you ever, have you ever heard of that news okay the you know in the new in christ church there's a um, a mosque that was attacked by a white uh 28 year old australian white supremacist uh and what he did was he he actually put himself on Twitter and put up a, I think a 70-page manifesto on Twitter how much he hated Muslims. And so what he did was he actually took a video live, took his gun out of the car and went on a rampage on that particular mosque, the Noor Mosque in Christ Church. And he started firing away. You can actually, you know, Pastor King had the video we're not going to show the video right now, right? No, no, don't. It's too graphic. But, you know, uh, you know, it was like, the feeling was like you are in a video game. And as Pastor King was viewing that particular video, Pastor Carlos at my, at my back was saying, so what video game is? I said, this is not a video game. This is live. And, you know, it was sick. And the New Zealand Prime Minister basically said that this is actually a terrorist attack. You know, for many, many months or years, somehow the Muslims were tagged or stereotyped as the one who's causing terror. But now they are the one being caused terror too. By a white 28-year-old male guy. So the, it's like, it's, this is actually how it looks like. He's got a GoPro on his head and he started... No worry, I'm not going to play that. Don't worry. This is just a picture, okay? But our world is filled with conflict. Our world is filled with violence and terror. And somehow we are crying out for peace on this planet. The question is, will we ever achieve that kind of peace? It used to be just a question in Miss Universe. World peace. But the reality is that peace achievable here in this lifetime. 
I went to the internet yesterday and did a little bit of research on what is there in the internet. Went to Mr. Google, typed the word peace, and this is what came out. If you are living in the 70s or 60s, you are familiar with this sign, peace. And somehow we think that peace is actually just a sign or it's just emptying your mind, meditating, or just saying chants, or being or putting yourself in a tranquil place in order for us to be able to achieve that peace that we are longing for. But what is peace? And how do we achieve peace? And what does peace play in this world of suffering? Today we're going to be reading a verse from the book of John. And if uh, you don't even have to open your Bible, I actually place it here because it's just only one verse. I'd like to invite everyone to stand to give reverence to the Word of God this afternoon. John chapter 16, verse 33. John chapter 16, verse 33. We're reading from the English Standard Version. And if you would read alongside me, okay, we'll all read this out loud. Ready? One, two, three. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you so much for your word in your promise and your encouragement. Despite the fact that we're living in a world of terror and a world that's filled with tribulation and trials, we thank you that we can find our lasting peace in you. And Lord, even today, I pray that you would encourage your people and give us a fresh perspective of on suffering. I thank you, Lord God, that you will allow us to have our eyes open and may the Holy Spirit speak to each and every one of us that we will understand the reality of suffering and how the Word of God and the, the role of Jesus has played there. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, that even today, that you will transform us and that you will even allow us to put our faith in you. Bless the preaching of your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. So we've just uh, read from the book of John. And John is actually an interesting book because out of the four Gospels, it is the only one that contains a precise statement of the author's purpose. Now, if you're familiar with John, last week we talked about the brothers. How many of you remember the, the preaching of Pastor Ryan last week? You know, the, the, you know the, James and John basically were the sons of thunder and their mom asked Jesus, if the brothers can actually have positions on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. And so John the Apostle is one of those brothers. And John happens to be one of the 12 who walked with the Lord for about 13 years. It's interesting that all of the apostles, most of them died a, you know, a violent death. You know, they were persecuted. Some were crucified. Peter requested that he would be crucified upside down because he said he didn't deserve to be crucified like the Lord. Some were stabbed. John's brother, James, was beheaded. He was once uh, the, the, the leader of the Jerusalem council. 
and he died 50 years ahead of the Apostle John. Some were, you know, burned. Some were stoned to death. And John happens to be the only apostle who died a natural death in his old age. And what's interesting about the book of John that is not found in the other Gospels is that John describes himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved. Wow! Ikaw nagsulat niyan eh, siyempre. Di ba? But really, I think it's a revelation that he had. And we see that in one of the times that he was in Rome, he was actually put in a burning pot of oil and he did not even die. Can you imagine? They made him like a bagnet or a crispata. Buhay pa rin si John. And so he was exiled in the island of Patmos. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the three episodes of John, 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John. And he wrote the last letter in the New Testament called the book of Revelation. And he started off in the island of Patmos. So he was writing his prophecies, testimony, what he saw uh, that the Lord showed him in something that happens in the future and in heaven. And so this is John. He was writing about this gospel of Christ. And his main emphasis is so that we will know. And in verse 31, he says, These are written that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. That is the purpose. The purpose of his gospel is simply so that the readers may know who Jesus is. That Jesus is not just a man. Yes, he's 100% man. He was born here through a virgin, but yet he is also deity himself. He revealed himself as the son of God. And so John took the time in the first 11 chapters to unpack who Jesus was. He was talking about Jesus as the seven I am's. Remember the seven I am's? I am the good shepherd. I am the bread. I am the light. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and so on and so forth. And then he proceeded to describe the seven signs. In fact, in the book of John, it says here, Jesus performed many other what? Signs. John did not call miracles, miracles in his John. I mean just John, in his gospel. But he called them signs. Because signs point to someone. And he was pointing that these miracles point to the deity of Christ. He turned water into wine. He healed several times. He actually raised Lazarus from the dead. He was talking about he is the resurrection and the life. And so we see that John has a specific purpose. The reason why he was writing this is so that he can encourage the readers. And then he shifted. It was almost like a buildup of who Jesus was. He was describing his experience. And in chapter 12 onwards, that was the night before Jesus' crucifixion. And he shifted. Somehow that in chapter 12, he shifts to the, you know, Jesus started talking about the passion and his coming death and his death on the cross. That he, but he will live again. He speaks of his death in chapter 12. He talks about the Last Supper. He, you know, he, he did the Last Supper. He started washing the disciples' feet in chapter 13. In chapter 14, he actually talked about that he's leaving and he's going to prepare rooms for us. And he was talking about, he was describing the future. In my Father's house are many rooms. How many of you are excited to have your own room in our Father's house? Amen. 
That's the future. He was, Jesus was talking about, I'm telling you this because you will also go with me. And Thomas said, how do we know where you are? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said that. No one comes to the Father except by me. Then chapter 15, it talked about him being the vine. Abide in me. If you don't abide in me, you will not bear fruit. Then chapter 16, he's now talking about sufferings. He's now describing what's going to happen to him and what's going to happen to the disciples. It's almost like a setup. He was actually setting this up so that, you know, the disciples would not be surprised that when you go through difficulties and trials and pain and suffering, don't be surprised anymore. Because if the master went through that, no servant, no student is greater than the master or the teacher. If Jesus went through suffering and pain, guess what? We will also go through some sufferings and pain. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, get ready. This is supposed to be an encouraging message. Don't worry. Some of you are depressed already. I can see your faces. I can read it from here. That's why John started off this chapter by saying this in verse 1. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. He's already warning. Okay, guys. I want to make sure. Walang laglagan dito. Mga kapatid, hanggang sa huli, eh may isang nanglaglaga. But Jesus was telling them, I have said these things to you. You shouldn't be surprised anymore. I am saying these things about my death, my resurrection, about the persecution that's coming. Some of you will lose your homes. Some of you will die because of the gospel. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, I just have two points in this message. Praise God. Two long points. Don't worry. First point is this, a reality of suffering. And we see that in one verse. Suffering is real. I asked earlier how many of you have gone through suffering. 100% raised our hands. I am raising two hands. Some of us are going through some suffering right now. Some of us have just gone through suffering and are starting a brand new suffering. Wow! Tapos ng grade 1, grade 2 naman. Ganun pala ang buhay. That's why, you know, when you talk about the gospel, yeah, the gospel is about the blessings as well. I believe in the blessing. How many of you believe in blessings? I believe in blessings. Don't, don't worry. I'm not a masochist pastor, okay? I don't love pain. But yet, when pain does come, we got to be ready because it's part of the scripture. The, the whole gospel talks about blessings and part of that gospel is sacrifice. God promised his blessings. We see that in his covenant with Abraham. He promised property. He promised posterity. He promised pro, uh, prosperity. He promised peace. He promised his presence. He promised his protection. You know, everything that we can see in the, in the scripture is all about God's faithfulness to us. You know, the way God provides for us is amazing. How many of you have experienced God's provision in your life? Amazing. But this is the time when Jesus was saying his goodbyes 
to the people, to his disciples. Can you imagine? He was preparing them. Guys, don't worry. I'm going to suffer. But don't worry. Kayo din. But don't worry. I'm going to leave first. You know how it is, right? He's, also, he's saying goodbye already. Do you have a family member who's saying goodbye? You know, I share this in the morning service and I thank you for, for, for praying for my mom. Many of you heard of my mom's sickness. She's been in the hospital for the past three weeks. And she was admitted for UTI. And that UTI complicated into sepsis. She was brought into the ICU for seven days. And by the grace of God, she survived and she was healed. Months before this, my mom would say, Pagod na ako, mga anak. Gusto ko nang kunin ako ni Lord. My mom's a Christian. She's been a believer for, I don't know how many years, 20 plus years. But she's saying, you know, I don't want to be a burden to your dad and to you. And she's saying, I want to go home already. And I told her, Ma, it's not your prerogative or your decision to go. We don't have the control when to end our life. God is the one who's gracious enough to extend your life. And if God's gracious and God's grace is there, and if God's will is there for you to extend for several more years so that you can see your grandchildren get married, and I'm ready for that as well, preparing myself, and have children, and you will see your great-grandchildren, so be it. It's a blessing from God. And so my mom is saying her goodbyes. I said, Mom, it's not time to say goodbyes. It's time to hang on to Jesus. And so from the ICU, she was brought into the regular room. Praise God. She was healed of sepsis. And then after a few days, she contracted a hospital-acquired pneumonia. Thank you. And so the doctor told my dad to, part of it, to buy some antibiotics. And the doctor checked the other day and was surprised. Wow, she's gotten better. Her body's responding well to the meds. And the fever's out. The oxygen tank is off. She can breathe on her own. Two weeks ago, she was on a respirator. And tomorrow, she's going to be discharged. Praise God. Thank you. It's a miracle. But what's an amazing miracle was my sister said to the doctor, Doctor, my dad was not able to buy the antibiotic. I knew it was God. How can she respond to the medicine if no medicine was given? So I said, Mom, it's too early to say goodbye. But Jesus, going back to Christ, He was saying goodbye the very next day. He's going to be crucified. Hey guys, it's okay. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going for a while, but I'm going to come back. Promise. In this world. And then he said these words. These sweet words. How many of you would like to use this as a salutation? Dear blank. In this world. Or, or your ending sign. 
Sincerely, in this particular case, you will have trouble. Something like that. Man, in this life, we will have trouble. In fact, the Gospel Coalition describes three kinds of suffering. First, suffering that we will actually maybe have is a deserved suffering. Deserved suffering really is about sin itself. It's consequential suffering. When we sin, we suffer misery for it. Sin brings consequences. For example, if you steal, you get caught, you, get, you go to jail. That's suffering, consequence of sin. If you cheat in your exam and you get caught by the teacher, you fail. Or if you involve yourself in immorality and you contracted a sexually transmitted disease, that's a consequence of sin. It's a deserved suffering. Sin always brings misery. That's the bad thing about sin. Next kind of suffering is what you call the innocent or the natural suffering. I know that there's no such thing as innocent suffering because none of us are innocent. But these are sufferings that you have not caused on your own. These are sufferings you may have not sinned or may have not done anything wrong, but yet disaster happens. Maybe other people did this to you. Like the Muslims in the mosque. They were just worshiping and somebody entered the mosque and they got killed and shot, shot and killed. Or maybe a disaster happens. Maybe a tsunami or an earthquake and, you know, it just, zoom, you're, you're dead. Or maybe somebody did that to you. Or maybe something just happened to your body. A cancer just sprouted there. Or maybe your child is suffering leukemia and no, there's no trace of leukemia in your generation. That is what you call an innocent or a natural suffering. But there's a third kind of suffering called a righteous suffering. And this is what you call the suffering for the sake of the gospel. And this is like persecution. You know, I've been reading the book of Tim Keller. And he said uh, in the book, uh, how do you call that book? Uh, Walking in pain and suffering. Yeah. And he said that possibly suffering is a call from God. And I was just meditating and I thought, what? And then I realized, looking at the three forms of suffering, deserved suffering may be a call to repentance because of sin. An innocent or a natural kind of suffering may be a call to have faith in God. And a righteous suffering or being persecuted is a call to honor God in the midst of your persecution. As I quoted Tim Keller in his book, It's Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, he said, one of the main ways of a culture that serves its members is by helping them face terrible evil and adversity. And he quoted a social theorist, a German named Max Scheller. And he said, or Scheller, an essential part of the teachings and directives of the great religious and philosophical thinkers of the world has been on the meaning of pain and suffering. Every society has chosen some version of these teachings so as to give its members instructions to encounter suffering correctly. To suffer properly. Wow. Have you ever suffered properly? When I read this, you know, I've been teaching our kids social graces, how to eat properly on the table, 
you know, how to behave when you're in a restaurant or how to behave when you're visiting another house. You know, these are social etiquettes. But I didn't realize that there is such a thing as to suffer properly. I think when you talk about being in Christ, we can actually use that suffering to honor and glorify Him. Facing the reality of suffering brings the realization of our need for a Savior. We realize that we are not in control. We realize that we can actually call on someone who is higher than us. Someone who is sovereign. Someone who is in the supernatural realm. Who can actually uh, do something about our situation. Suffering somehow ignites dependence. And there are so many things that people are asking the Lord. You know, if God is a good God, then why does He allow suffering to happen in the world? Have you ever heard of that question? I've heard of that many times. And in my three decades of ministry, I've seen people reject the gospel because of pain and misery. They blame God for the bad things that are happening in their life. But in the same 30 years almost of my ministry, I've also seen the opposite. That when you go through pain and suffering. It is also a way for us to be drawn near to God. Many times in my life, I felt that I am closer to God in the midst of my suffering than in my times of plenty. You look at the people of Israel. Every time they get blessed, they forget God. But every time they suffer, they cry out to God. Somehow suffering gives us an acceptance of God's sovereignty in our lives. Remember what happened to 9-11? 2001, September 11. Early morning when the people were going to work, four planes coordinated attacks in the United States. Two planes hit the North and the South Tower. A third plane hit the Pentagon. And a fourth plane, what was supposed to hit the White House in Washington, D.C., somehow the passengers thwarted the terrorist attack and it actually crashed somewhere in Pennsylvania, if you remember the news. On that day, about 3,000 people died. This is the single most, the biggest terrorist attack in the history of the world. But yet, on that day also, people who escaped death, there were people who escaped death because of a problem or a difficulty or a form of a suffering. The head of a company had to suddenly bring his kid to school because the nanny reported sick. So he missed the attack. A woman was late for work because the alarm did not set off. Praise God for the smooth news button. Another woman was late because the regular bus she rode was unusually full. She actually could have complained there, but when she found out about the attack, what came out was, thank you. 
One woman spilled food on her clothes and had to head back home to change. About 10 people had car problems. Their cars won't start that day. A woman cannot find a taxi. Another woman who wore brand new heels got blisters on her foot, passed by the drugstore to buy Band-Aid, and missed the attack. A man who bought a brand new BMW suddenly had a computer problem and had to wait for a repair uh, for several hours for the rescue and the repair to come and pick up his car. Another woman lost her job and was laid off four days before the attack. And I believe that there are several stories about this. How troubles and pain happened. This morning, Panzer, Tumang, one of our members, when I was sharing this story, said that on that day, we remember, we were actually in the States. We were in Washington, D.C. We were lined up to have a tour of the White House. And we were there stuck for several hours in the line. We're fully paid. And somehow, our line was dispersed by the authority in the White House. And he realized that day, God spared his life and Monette from that attack. You know, sometimes when you go through sufferings and pain and if you have a micro perspective, our tendency is to complain and to grumble and say, God, why is this thing happening to me? Why is this thing happening to my family? But if we pull back, And see it from the perspective of our loving creator. He actually spared us from something that is huge. Amen. Our God is a faithful God. Amen. Come on now. (laughs) Suffering is real, yes. And we live in a fallen world. We cannot blame God for that because we caused this. We live in a fallen world because of man's sin. You can actually blame Adam and Eve one day when you go to heaven. But we are his descendants. And we have propagated that sin in our lives. But yet, it does not end there. Because there is a promise of victory in the same verse that we have read. And Jesus himself said, I have said these things to you that in me, everybody say, in me. In me, in Christ, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He was sharing this and speaking this with conviction towards his disciples. Hey guys, it's okay. I'm going to die. It's okay. You're going to suffer. It's okay. I'm going to overcome the world. I have overcome the world. What's fascinating is after Jesus said this, the next day he died. He suffered. Not for his sake, but for our sake. And he set an example. Somehow he was tortured. He actually overcame. He was tortured. He was crucified. He died. He was not exempt from suffering. But he defeated the world. He said, I have overcome the world. The world represents Satan. The world represents the the ruler of this age. It represents sin. It represents the systems of this world. And God himself said, take heart. Take courage. I have overcome the world. Don't despair. What does this mean for us? 
it means that if Jesus has been victorious, we can also be victorious in Christ. Amen. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is also resident in us. And one day, we will also resurrect like Him. You and I may go through some troubles and pains and suffering, but guess what? The systems of this world has no power over us. Amen. In John chapter 14, verse 27, He said this, Peace I live with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. The world will promise, yeah, we can give you peace. Not that kind of peace. But let your hearts not be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I believe that all of us are going to finish well in this life. You and I may go through some suffering right now or tribulation or trial. Don't worry. God's using that pain and suffering in order to conform us more and more into the image of His Son, Jesus. My wife shared this book with me, The Scars That Shaped Me. And I think the author said that God uses suffering in order to, you know, glorify Him and suffering can also be good for us because it shapes us. Somehow, Suffering can create a hollow in our soul in order for God to be able to fill it with overwhelming joy. That was the description of suffering. Somehow it gets into your soul. There is a mark, definitely. There's going to be a scar there somewhere. I was scarred 15 years ago. I am never the same. But that I know that my God has always been there. He's been faithful and true. And he will never change. You know, in the sport of marathon and triathlon, I actually tried joining marathon. I said I tried, okay? Uh, I have not run the 42K. I only, my best is 21K. I ran the half marathon. I haven't run the full marathon yet. Uh, sorry, the full uh, triathlon. I only have, uh, did the half triathlon. The reason why it's called triathlon is because you just try, Okay? I mean, that's the reason why it's called triathlon. But in that sport, there is a term that they use for those who s- did not start and did not finish. It's called DNS and DNF. DNS stands for did not start. For some reason, they got maybe they got scared, they got sick, they got in traffic, or whatever. They did not start. They didn't join the race. And also there's called DNF, did not finish. I don't know which one is better. Maybe none is better. But I believe that you and I in this race called life, you and I will be able to finish the race. Amen. In Him, in Christ, we who are followers, His disciples, suffering will not shake us. It will strengthen us. Amen. The misery will not monopolize us. It will mature us. The difficulties in life will never destroy us. My prayers, it will display the glory of God in us. If you look at the scripture in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the finish line, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And I added this italics, the starter and the finisher of our race. 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down the right hand of the throne of God. Guess what? You and I will finish well in this race called life by the grace of God. Amen. It is not your work. It is Christ's work in us. Focus your eyes on him. Look to him. The one who started is going to be faithful to complete it. Going back to the same verse, he said, I have said these things to you that in me, in Christ, you may have peace. What an interesting contrast. He says, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have what? Tribulation. Which, where, where are we? Are we in Christ or are we in the world? There's a contrast there. Guess what? We are all still in this world. It's talking about cosmos. How many of you are on earth? You're not in the moon. But in this world, you'll have trouble. But yet there's another, I believe there's another meaning there. If you find yourself in Christ, you'll have peace. If you depend on the world, you'll have troubles, pure troubles. You know, the Bible is descriptive of what this peace means. In the Old Testament, in Hebrew, it talks about shalom. How many familiar with shalom? Look at the person beside you and greet that person. Shalom be with you. Yeah, okay? Parang ganun yan, you know? Shalom pass. Shalom, peace be with you. Yeah. In, uh, in, in the New Testament, in the Greek, it's uh, called irin or erine. And it means shalom. The description of shalom is more than just an absence of trouble. You know, we went to Israel, uh, me and my wife, and, and some pastors, and we saw big blocks of rocks everywhere we go. Whether in Jerusalem, in Galilee, you know, every city that you go to, Israel is full of rocks. You know, after one place, you go to another place, I believe, Shirley, Bato na naman! Parang ganun, okay? You know, it's full of rocks. But you know, when you talk about shalom, it's about wholeness. It's like big rocks without any cracks on it. That is a description of our life in Christ. You're like a big rock with no crack in it. That is peace. That is shalom. That is irene. It means your life is aligned. The city walls of the rocks are aligned. It means your life is complete. Even Job said this as he went through trials. My tents are shalom. I have counted my flocks and nothing is missing. Everything is complete. Our well-being is also descriptive of shalom. Jesse sent his son, David, to check on their brothers, on his brothers, shalom. Well-being when he delivered food to them in a war against Goliath. Peace also talks about reconciliation with God, reconciliation with one another and reconciliation with our soul. Peace with God, peace with others, peace with ourselves. That's why when you talk about peace, it is a holistic thing. When Jesus promised peace, he's not talking about just peace, man, or rest. That is just one aspect of that. It's completeness, it's wholeness, it's well-being, it's reconciliation, it's alignment, Nothing missing, nothing broken. That is the peace that Jesus promised that the world can never match. Amen. Come on up. Can we give the Lord a hand?
that's why when you look at our life today, the wisest king named Solomon described this life as meaningless. If you look at the, the book of Solomon that he wrote in Ecclesiastes, you know, he was talking about this life is meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. You know, it's almost like a depressing book. He was talking about the meaningless toil under the sun. He was talking about, you know, that, that everything under the sun is meaningless. That people toil but do not rest. And we somehow understand this. We always long for safety and security that the world cannot give. People, even Christians, sometimes operate in fear and anxiety. Because we feel like, wow, what if our investments or what if our property is not going to be secure? People look for external security. The bells and the whistles of this life, wealth, fame, recognition, maybe another car, a promotion, maybe a new house, a reputation, social status, prominence, applause of men, so on and so forth. You just add on to that. But the reality is the more wealth you have, the more anxious you become because you might lose that wealth someday. We long for the external security. But what we need to look for really is an eternal security that this world cannot give. The only security that enables us to sleep well at night and live well is the eternal security that only Christ can give. My wife's favorite preacher right now is Jill Briscoe. And she's listened, I listened to some of her teaching and she said, your past is forgiven, your present is full, your future is assured. Nothing to worry about life. Who can sleep well in this life? Him who has found himself in Christ. One who is forgiven and one whose eternity is secure. The moment you realize that your eternity is secure in the Lord, ah, what a nice sleep I'll have. Or else the opposite will happen. In our meaningless toil, you try to sleep, but you cannot. It's like your body is sleeping, but your mind is actually standing up. That's a description. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. The world cannot define what that peace means. But you and I know what it means. We who are in Christ. It will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ. God's solution was to bring in a king who will bring us peace. In the book of Judges, there was no king during that time. Judges failed. They, he, you know, the, he, and the, God gave them a king in the, in the person of King Saul. He also failed. And then King David was instituted as the new king of Israel. He was not a perfect king. But yet in his lineage came the, prep, the perfect king, the prince of peace by the person of Jesus Christ. He gave his life for us so that you and I can have peace. In fact, if we are going through pain right now, we need to put our focus on God himself. In Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3, it says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed on you. Because he trusts in you. Who are you holding on to? 
Is it the riches of the world or are we holding on to Christ himself? I'd like to ask the music team to join me here on stage. In Christ alone, we will have peace and victory. The world will never be able to explain what you and I have. Maybe you have office mates that are wondering, you've gone through a lot of difficulty, you've gone through a lot of challenges, and yet you can still smile. What's the secret there? I have Christ in me, the hope of glory. Let your pain and your suffering be your testimony in ministering to others. God will use that powerfully. God uses suffering for our good and use it also to glorify His name in our life. Before we pray, I was just reminded of this particular scripture this morning was we were having worship. God's reminded me of Psalm 34, verse 1 to 3. It says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. In verse 2, it's amazing because it says, I will glorify in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Let those who are suffering, affliction is not a cause of complaints, but affliction can actually bring out praise in our hearts. Amen. In our mouth. And it says in verse 3, Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. You know, this verse talks about community as well. As we suffer in life, I realize that you don't have to suffer alone. The reason why God has placed us in a church or in a community is so that we can actually stand with each other and pray for one another and bring out the best in one another. Yes, God will use the relationship to bring in the Christ in us. But yet, as we go through pain and suffering and hardship, be assured that there's a people and a family who loves you, who's praying for you, who's standing with you, and who's praising the Lord with you. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? You just heard a podcast from Victory. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit our website at victory.org.ph or like our page on Facebook at facebook.com slash victoryph.